We are going to continue on our study of angels and demons. Who's ready for that tonight? Go ahead and turn to Job 38. You know it's going to be a good sermon if we're heading to Job 38. You know it's going to be a good teaching tonight. And I do want to recap just a little bit from last week. And uh, as I mentioned, I know these will at least go seven weeks. That first Wednesday in January, January 4th, I was talking with Leah, and that's usually our share night. And we're going to go ahead and come in here and do teaching that night. We'll pick up our first Wednesday share in February. So just an, an FYI, looking ahead to January 4th, that first Wednesday of, uh, of January, that we will be in here and we'll continue because we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk tonight about guardian angels and the hierarchy of angels, which actually leads into our next teaching on January 4th of demons. We're going to talk about the subject of demons on that night and then continue on through some subjects concerning angels and demons. And we talked about last week of why study this. And really, I kind of got down this path and talking to my own daughter and mentioning to her that you have a guardian angel. Huh? I do. So I took her to the scriptures I'm going to share with you guys tonight and just began teaching her on the subject of guardian angels and angelology and those things. And we're not going to go super deep into this because as I talked about several weeks ago, you can really kind of get off into the weeds in some of these subjects. And that's not my intention. My intention is for us to just simply have a good, solid biblical foundation because it's amazing how many cultural things can kind of seep into our theology that don't belong there because they don't line up with God's word, right? So there were two reasons last week we talked about of why study this subject. And the first one I talked about was it helps us understand the world around us. When you understand angels and demons and how the spiritual realm, and we literally talked about it being another higher dimension than ours, we live in a three-dimensional world, and we understand that angels and demons can interact with our world because they live in another higher dimension. That we term spiritual realm is basically how we term that. But the reason that it's important to understand this in regards to the world around us is you understand that we would not be in the mess we are in if it weren't for Satan, right? The mess that we're in is because, of course, we understand the fall in Genesis 3 where he tempted Eve and she ate of the, the fruit and shared it with him. And here's the thing. He still plays a significant role today. We talked about last week of several scriptures where God would be speaking to what we thought it, it was the serpent. Then he switches gears and he's actually speaking to Satan who used the serpent in order to accomplish his plan. We talked about in Ezekiel, the king of Tyre, where he switches gears right there. And if you're, if you're paying attention, he's no longer addressing the king of Tyre. He's addressing who's operating behind that kingdom, which of course was Satan. The second reason we study this is there is an unseen world all around us and most people are not aware of it. As a matter of fact, most people think that if it's spirit, then it's not real and nothing could be further from the truth. It's actually very real. And if we were to pull back a curtain, so to speak, and be able to see into that realm, see into that dimension, we would be amazed at all the activity that's actually going on. So tonight we're going to study angels this evening and we're going to talk about the basics. What are angels? Well, if you look up the definition, you're probably not going to see the one that I'm going to give you here in just a minute. But before we talk about what they are and their roles assigned by God and their hierarchy and the way that God created them, let's talk about what they're not. First thing that they're not, angels are not the souls of loved ones gone on, right? They are not the souls of loved ones going on. That is actually 
a, a, you know, a, a cultural thing that really, as I studied this, and I've studied it in the past, because I'm always kind of amazed that people, you know, and this isn't to knock anybody if you happen to have this or something, but you've been, we've, I'll say it this way. We've all been to funerals, right? Where if you get a program, you read the program and it usually has, a lot of times it'll have a poem about finally this person gained their angel's wings and they've finally gone on to be an angel. It's important to understand where that came from. And what I have tracked down is that there was a man by the name of Emanuel Swedenborg. Emanuel Swedenborg lived in the late 16th century, early 17th century. So he was born around 16, I think 88, lived all the way to like 1772, somewhere around in there. So he lived a very long life. And the interesting thing about Emanuel Swedenborg is he wasn't a pastor, he wasn't a theologian, he wasn't um, somebody that was looked at in that way. He was actually an, an inventor slash scientist. And he wrote a book called Heaven and Hell that greatly impacted those that really were in the culture outside of the church. They were atheists and they weren't necessarily believers, but it really impacted their thinking and really truly what this man was. And a lot of people understood this by meeting him and talking to him because he wrote the book because it was April 6th of, I think, 1772 right around in there, maybe 1762, right right in that area, not important. But he wrote a book out of an encounter, he says he had, where he started to have open visions of angels and demons. And in his book, he began to explain that he actually was able to visit heaven and visit hell and talk to angels and demons. And his main crux was this. He said, the Bible does not teach that God created angels as created beings. He said that angels and demons are people who die. And if you go to heaven, you're an angel. And if you go to hell, you become a demon. And he says he conversed with angels that inhabit Jupiter and inhabit Mars and inhabit all these different planets throughout our solar system. Well, I'm sure what you're thinking is the same thing most people thought at that time. He's mentally ill, right? That's what they thought. And he Obviously was, but it took hold in the culture and really propagated all the way up through the, the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries, 19th century even, where even well-meaning pastors would get up during times of, of sickness and pandemics and disease and all these times. And they would want to comfort the people that were before them. So they would say things in their, their funeral sermons of, well, you know, the grandma is now on a cloud with a harp with wings. It is not theologically correct, and I'm going to show you that as we look at Job. If you're in Job, say amen. amen. But he, it was actually April 6, 1744. He began having these dreams and visions. He began to write this book on heaven and hell, and he began to kind of put this out there that really took hold in culture. So before we talk about what angels are, let's clarify what they are not. And this is just good, solid, bedrock theology for you is when you die, you do not become an angel. When you die, you do not become a demon. And he based this whole thing on the creation story because he said when the creation story is given to us in Genesis, you do not see angels 
present. Now, if he had actually studied his Bible, he could have found scriptures that I found very quickly, like Job 38. Look, look at verses 4 through 7 tonight. we got a lot of scripture we're going to cover. We're going to go to Psalms next, Psalm 148, so be ready to turn to Psalms. But if he had actually been studying this, look at Job 38, starting in verse 4. This is when God shows up to Job, and Job, at this point, has been complaining and has been kind of like, God, I, you know, you must have left me. I'm going through all this. It, it really clarifies on a separate note. It really clarifies when we say bad things happen to good people or good things happen to bad people. And we assign that to God when really, as we see here, as Job's talking, God comes down and talks to Job. But here's what I want to point out. Where were you when I had laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked all its dimensions. Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it or on what was where, where its footings were set or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. This passage is where God is finally answering Job's complaints and questions. So God is talking to Job. So what this is saying is the angels were present and rejoicing when God created the heavens and earth. It's scriptures that teach us God created angels As a separate race of supernatural beings. God created angels as a separate race of supernatural beings. Psalm 148. Turn there with me. While you're turning there, I'm going to go grab my bottle of water. Again, to establish... God's creation of the hierarchy of angels, and we're going to talk about that tonight. And the reason we're going to talk about the hierarchy of angels is it's my understanding and belief that just the same as there's a hierarchy of angels because demons are fallen angels, that there's a hierarchy in the demonic realm too. And we'll talk about that when we meet January 4th as we get into understanding demons and angels. But in Psalm 148, verse 2 through 5, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. In other words, they didn't turn into angels. They were created as angels. In fact, if this Swedenborg guy continued reading in his Bible, he would have come to the story of Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve fell, we understand that if you would have said to me, well, pastor, I think that it's angels or people who have passed on and went to heaven. Demons are people who passed on and went to hell. If you'd have said that to me, I would have said, okay, wait a second. Even though that the answer may be, well, we don't see them when God talks about creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Even though we don't see that, after they fell, think about this. Adam and Eve were put out of the garden, right? They're put out of the garden, and there's two cherubim, there's two angels that are set to guard the tree of life. Now, if there's two angels set to guard the tree of life, and Adam and Eve had not had kids yet, are you following my line of thinking? There wasn't anybody to become the angels to guard the tree of life. It's just a little bit of foundation before we talk about what angels are. I love to correct the type of theology that we see in culture that says, you know, so-and-so went on to be an angel. And the reason that it's, it's bad theology is it can kind of give people a, a wrong understanding of salvation, God's created order. And 
what do we see in our culture, especially today? Well, everybody goes on to heaven and becomes an angel. Not everybody's going to go to heaven. You go to heaven because you've repented of your sin, put your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, and you're living your life every day for him. Amen? Amen. Have we established that? Here's a little poem that I found that was on the, on the back of a, a funeral brochure. Here it is. This, you could find a hundred of these if you just look for them. An angel at my shoulder heard the whisper of goodbye, offering eternity as life slipped silent but by. So peacefully it seemed in sleep you yielded into the love that reached across my shoulder to lift you high above. But still you are beside me, and with certainty I know the hands I can no longer hold will guide me as you go. For in that fleeting moment, at the touch of heaven's embrace, as one angel brushed my shoulder, another took its place. That's just one of hundreds that you could find that are usually found in funeral you know, programs. And I don't, I don't knock that. I'm just telling you as believers, we have theology that said that angels are a separate created being class of creation by God for a purpose. And we're going to talk about that purpose tonight because not only are we going to talk about what they're not, we're going to talk about what they do. And specifically that God has given each person who are heirs of salvation, according to scripture, he has given us angels charge over us. He has given us angels to protect us. He has given us angels to minister to us. He's given us angels to strengthen us and to protect us. And really what I want to want you to leave here with tonight is a proper understanding of what angels are and what their roles are for us who are heirs of salvation. Um, people don't get wings and harps and you don't sit on a cloud when you pass away. Here's what we do get. You'll get a glorified body if you're in Christ. Amen. That's good news. It's, it says that, listen, and the reason this is important is what, what do we understand about death? We understand about death is that when you pass away, your soul leaves, right? Where does your body stay? Here. And not to be morbid with anybody in here, but our, our bodies what begin to deteriorate in the ground. And when Jesus returns, understand, when he returns, it says the dead in Christ shall rise to be with him, and we who remain will be caught up with him in the air. So we, if we're remaining when Christ comes, we will receive our glorified body. My point is, is simple. Theologically speaking, we are given our glorified bodies in that moment at the rapture when Christ returned. And it led me to a question that I thought of, why do we need this body? We talked about it last week. Why do we need this physical body? It's because people also don't have an understanding that Jesus Christ is going to return and rule and reign for a thousand years. That's incredible. That is something to be looking forward to. That is something to be praying for. And God, you know, set up your kingdom on earth and show everybody how it's done. We will need those glorified bodies again as we talked last week. And if you didn't get to listen to that, you can go online and listen. It's, a, it's important to understand because we're given those glorified bodies in the same way that angels now as a created being is able to interact with both of the, the places here in the physical because we're only three-dimensional beings. But also in the, in the natural, they're able to enter in and to do God's bidding as messengers and guardians and everything else. The same thing will be for us when we receive our glorified bodies. It's important to understand that because we are going to be operating in two realms. There will still be the physical earth in Jesus. Jesus' reign. And the, the, Colossians says this. Turn to Colossians 
chapter 1. We talked about this last week, but this is another very core scripture that we're going to, it's really probably our, our anchor text for this whole teaching of things that were created by him and for him, all things were created. And what it goes on to explain and give us a glimpse into is that world all around us. I mentioned, and I didn't, I wasn't able to add it to my notes. I was actually reading it in a book today. Wasn't able to add it to my notes, but there was an astronomer who once he saw the, and this is way back, this is back in the late 1800s into the 1900s, and he made this, when they finally were able to kind of see the expanse of the universe and how absolutely huge that it was, and they began to see that, I said last week, we are in a very confined space in the three-dimensional realm that we live in now. It is very confined. And he realized that by looking at the vastness of space and even wondering, has anybody ever just wondered of, and this should cause wonder in some of those, oh, wow, God moments of God coming to this little place called earth and having so much significance and so much focus of God. And really it is a very small confined space, but Colossians talks about this here in verse 16. If you're there, say amen. For in him, all things, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Here, here it is. We sometimes delve into these scriptures and we begin to say, well, if God created this, what it goes on to talk about the invisible, because as soon as it says, and the invisible, it shows us of another world that exists that we're talking about when it comes to angels and demons. He says, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. If you're taking notes, let me give you the definition of of angels. Here it is. Angels are celestial beings created by God to serve him in different capacities depending on what type of angel they are. Angels are celestial beings created by God to serve him in different capacities depending on what type of angel that they were created to be. Which means when we read things like Colossians and read God setting up cherubim to guard the the tree of life, and we begin to look at tonight, we'll talk about archangels or prince angels. We'll talk about how a prince angel withstood Michael when he was coming to answer um, Daniel's prayer. We'll look at Daniel. We'll look at those things. But the thing that we need to understand when it talks about Colossians is that Jesus, has always existed. Even before the incarnation that we'll celebrate here this week, Jesus has eternally existed and everything was created by Jesus, for Jesus, things seen and things unseen. Now, if you study the Greek words for thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities, you will see a hierarchy of angels in descending order. Let me throw it out there to you. Thrones, That's the Greek word thronos, and that is referring to archangels at the top. Dominions is a Greek word, and I know I'm not going to say this correctly, so bear with me. Kairotes, kairotes is it's referring to the angels over nations or areas of the world. Turn to Daniel chapter 10. I'm going to show you this. So you have thrones, you have dominions, you have powers. That operate, and this is laying out a hierarchy of angelic beings. And again, we'll talk about it on January 4th. There's also a hierarchy in the demonic realm. And when you understand that, a lot of things will become a lot clearer and begin to make sense. 
Daniel 10 that we're going to look at in verses 12 and 13, Daniel has set his heart and mind to pray about something he saw that God promised in his word. That's why our prayers are important because when you see God's promise, we need to begin to pray it. We need to begin to, 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 to declare it. We need to begin to build our faith upon God's promises. He saw that. And here in verse 12 of Daniel 10, look at this with me. Then he continued, this is the angel showing up. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So look back this way. If you read this in context, this is referring to a demonic spirit. Listen, it's it's referring to the demonic spirit that withstood this angel that was sent. And it wasn't until an angel that of, of the same rank and authority showed up that was able to withstand what the demonic spirit was trying to withhold and the answer coming from heaven. And this is the word kairotes. Kairotes is, is talking about, in this instance, a demonic spirit that ruled over Persia. And because it's the Greek word kairotes and it's referring to a hierarchy in the created spiritual realm. And this is important to understand because we also understand, did you know that there's, there's demonic principalities over the United States of America? There's demonic principality. Listen, I'll even break it down. And I'm, again, I'm going on Colossians 1 verse 16. The things that are seen and things that are unseen. There's an unseen, hidden spiritual realm, dimension, that we begin to understand how things are laid out in there. And there's also principalities, and that's the word arche in the Greek. They rule over smaller areas like a state or an area. Has anybody ever gone to another country or even to a different area of this country, and you can just sense there's a different oppression there than the area that you live in? Has anybody ever experienced that? No? Really? Fly into Mexico City sometime, okay? You descend down below 35,000 feet, and I could literally, when we worked there as missionaries, you could feel the darkness over that city. Those are principalities, powers, spiritual rulers, and wickedness in high places. I would even break it on down further and talk about different demonic hierarchy that's assigned to different even areas of a state like this area. Or even break it on down because he ends with this. He ends with powers. There's demonic powers that may even rule over different neighborhoods and places. And... uh we know for a fact Michael is an archangel. You don't have to turn there because i got a lot more scripture. But Jude verse 9, if you're taking notes, look that up later. Jude verse 9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, think about that for a second. I don't understand that, I'll be honest with you. Did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The part I want to point out is it is pointing out Michael that we just talked about in Daniel. It's talking about him as an archangel, as one of God's top angels. Now, how many ever heard that there are three archangels? I'm just curious as I've studied this, three, three. How many have heard that there's seven, seven archangels? Um, we get the seven from the book of Enoch, which I warned you, it's, it's a good book maybe to check out, but it's not included in the canon of scripture, so you have to be very careful. But a lot of Jewish writings talk about there being seven. And uh, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but Gabriel actually was never mentioned as one of the archangels. 
Um, Arco just means to be the ruler or chief. In other words, we see Michael is the head honcho. And the reason that the Bible talks about there being different divisions, I believe and understand this to mean that, that God took his archangels, the princes, the ones who he set over. And you see Michael is the head of God's army. So there's warring angels. There's angels that do battle. There's guardian angels. There's guard, angels that guard. There's ministering angels in different hierarchies of angels. We see this in Revelation 12, verses 7 and 8. Again, just jot that down if you want to go back to it. And it says, when war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels, and that's the part I want to point out, his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. It's talking about the heavenly war that happened when a third of the angels chose to rebel, go with Lucifer. And the three that most commonly come up are Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And it doesn't actually talk about, specifically in the Bible, about Lucifer being an archangel. It doesn't actually say that. A lot of people just assume that Lucifer was an archangel because of how much damage that he did. In the scripture in Daniel, that we, or Ezekiel, that we talked about last week, when God pronounces judgment against the physical king of Tyre, but also the Satan that was operating, Lucifer, that was operating behind the, the king, it goes into great detail of how he was created, and it called him a cherubim. It said you were an anointed cherubim. So he could have been, but we don't know that for sure, and we have to stick with what Scripture actually teaches about these different things. But my main point is is to understand that there is a hierarchy of angels. In Revelation 12 that we just read, I want you to notice it said his angels, meaning they were under Michael's command, under the command of God Almighty. And it would kind of be like this. It would be like people who fought in World War II would say, well, I fought for Patton, or I fought under MacArthur, or I fought, I fought in the Gulf War under Schwarzkopf, right? You didn't fight under MacArthur or Patton or Schwarzkopf. You were fighting for the United States of America, right? But to understand this, and when he says to his angels, it's just talking about this concept that they are created celestial beings who God has put into an order and hierarchy. And I'm laying this foundation now so that when we get into the demonic and understanding demons, we can have a better understanding of how they operate. Why is this important in a practical way? When you understand the reality of the spiritual realm, when you understand the reality of spiritual warfare, and you understand some of these things, you will better know how to fight and come against what the enemy is doing. Because he has schemes and he has plans, and his plan is always to kill, steal, and destroy. And God came that we would have life and have it abundantly. How does God accomplish his will? He accomplishes his will through the hierarchy of angels because they are sent to minister and to guard and protect. They can interact with their dimension and their spiritual realm, and they can interact in ours. And they come to answer what God's bidding is. And in verse 14, he calls him, in in Ezekiel that we looked at last week, he calls him the anointed cherub. Cherub is singular. Cherubim is plural. And cherubim are an order of guards. We see them in Scripture, and when they're brought up, they're actually guarding things in Scripture. And uh, number two tonight is this. Angels have supernatural strength and intelligence. Angels have supernatural strength 
and intelligence. In Psalm 103, verse 20, it talks about, in that psalm, it talks about his mighty angels who excel in strength. It talks about that in there. And they excel in strength. The word strength comes from the word eoch, meaning strength, powerful. Greek word that is the equivalent is dunamis. Dunamis literally means is where we get the English word dynamite. So when it talks about the strength of angels and it relates these words to angels, it's important to understand that they are very strong and they are very intelligent, created beings of God. I say that they're strong. Here's an, here's an example of their strength. It talks about when Jesus Christ uh, rose again, when they came to the tomb, what had been rolled away from the, cover, from the front of the tomb? The stone had been rolled away. Do you understand how big and how heavy those were? There were approximately 4,000 pounds, four tons of stone historically in Israel during this time. It's also kind of interesting to understand of what the whole process of burial in Israel was at the time. A family would buy a place where they would hew out a tomb in the rock, and they laid the body up on that place in the tomb. And when when the Bible refers to and saying they have gone and joined and and gone to be with their fathers. They were talking about a process of where they would lay the body. And the body, because of the climate there, of course, the body would deteriorate really quickly. Within six to eight months, the body would have deteriorated enough where they would go in as a family, collect the bones, and they would take the bones and they would put them with the fathers of the family. They were all kept together. So when they show up at the tomb, understand, and the reason I say they're strong is if one angel came down, and this is interesting too, what they would do is when they, when they had these large stones that they would roll in the front, why did they roll the stone in front of the graves? Because it stunk, right? They didn't want the smell to all go everywhere, so they took a really large stone that it would take three to four people, usually four. And the reason that it would take four people is they, where the stone would go, they would hew out a, a, a set, the, a place to seat. So a seating place would be where the stone was so that it couldn't move around. And here's the thing. When they were going to remove a stone from the front of a grave to go in and collect things, they would have to lift up. And they would have to roll away. And if God just sent one angel, and he probably used maybe two fingers, I'm guessing. I'm speculating. But he maybe lifted two fingers, rolled it, and then he sat on the top of it almost as if to say, hey, the strong one is here. It's an important little nugget to understand the strength and the intelligence of angels. That's in Matthew 28, verses 2 and 3. It says, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord. Again, angels interacting, coming into the physical, able to interact with our realm. And it came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So they're also super intelligent. Angels are, have super strength, and they're also super intelligent. I'll show you what I mean. Here in verse 36, it says, uh, Matthew 24, verse 36. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew 24, verse 36. We're going to be over in the New Testament for several more scriptures, so you might as well go ahead and turn over there from Psalms. Matthew 24, verse 36. I'm going to point out something that it doesn't say to point out something that it does. 
because it says this, but about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Of course, these are the words of Jesus in relaying his return. And in other words, if he's saying, hey, even the angels don't know when this is going to happen, means that angels know basically everything. They're actually called and referred to in the scriptures as watchers. They're, they're looking into salvation. They're very interested in the things that are going on. And I wondered about that because here in First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 that we'll read in a minute, it talks about angels desiring to look into salvation. And really, I began to think about that a few days ago, and I thought, Lord, you know, they're superhuman, they're super strength, they're not human. They're, they have super strength, they're super intelligent, because if, if Jesus even said, look, even the angels don't know when this is going to happen, that's how, that's how far out it is, and that's only God in heaven knows. When we look at that and we think about that and understand that in relation to their intelligence, and, uh, and just to emphasize how smart they are, Jesus has to say, man, even the angels don't know. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, it says, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that now have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So he, here he's explaining the whole plan of salvation, the whole Jesus coming to earth and the prophets foretelling and pointing towards the cross and Calvary. Here's the last part of it. Even angels long to look into these things. That's amazing to me. And my question was, why does salvation puzzle angels? Why are they so intent on looking into salvation? And the thought, and I'm not 100% sure it's exactly right on, but let me share with you what I think. If I were an angel, a created being, and I had superhuman or super strength and I was had super intelligence, I would probably be amazed, and they still are, that God would come to earth, become a little baby, grow up in the fear and wisdom of the Lord, and go to the cross. He came, they, they live in glory. They live in the glory of heaven. They behold God's face all the time, right? They understand how they were created. They understand their strength and power. It had to amaze them that Jesus would go to the Garden of Gethsemane and say the words, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When he, after that, said, Peter, put the sword up, because I have 12 legions of these super strength, super intelligent angels that could come at the snap of a finger. And if they did, if one angel could come down and wipe out all the firstborn of Egypt, what could 12 legions do? And they are, my simple thought is they're like, really, God? These? These that are always going astray? These who make some of the dumbest decisions that we could possibly imagine? These that should be so far out of your concern and care, you just leave them behind? They are amazed and want to look into, right here, even angels long 
to look into what he just described in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. He's explaining the prophets. He's explaining everything being foretold about Christ's coming from heaven to earth to pay the price for our sin. And they're amazed that God has that much concern for this creation. They were there at creation. They were there when God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. We'll talk about this more in depth when we get into the demonic side of things, but there had to create some kind of a rebellion and jealousy that came to pass. Here's another question I want to answer before we end tonight. I'm going to end here in just a few minutes. The question that my daughter asked me, and I want to teach you tonight, is do we all have guardian angels? Everybody that's saved and you're on your way to heaven, you've repented of your sins, put your faith in Christ. Do we have guardian angels? Turn to Matthew 18, verse 10. Matthew 18, verse 10. Matthew 18, verse 10. This is, again, as Jesus, and I hate to take things completely out of the context that they're in, but Jesus is teaching and talking, and he goes on to say in verse 10, he says this, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What it's talking about is, now, again, you would take that and say, Oh, they're always... Seeing the faith, it's not exactly what he's saying. Here's what I take that to mean in the context that it's talking about in reference to us as heirs of salvation that have a guardian angel, that have angels that guard us. Here's what I think that it means. It, in God's created order, if God has cherubim and God has guards and God has this created hierarchy of angels, it's important to understand in a very simple, practical way, not all the angels get access to God, right? They don't just come in and begin to converse. What it's saying is that your angel, God has so much concern for you, God has so much care for you, that these behold God's face in heaven because they have unlimited access in order that God can give them commands in order to take care of you. That's good news, isn't it? They're called watchers because he says they're angels. That's personal, isn't it? That's actually literally in the Greek a personal pronoun called altos, which means each one has their own personal angel watching over them. And in fact, Daniel 4, 4 verse 17, angels are called watchers. And that's not even a Hebrew word. It's an Aramaic word found in Daniel that talks about them are watching. What are they watching? They are watching over us as the people of God. Hebrews 1, verse 14, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time. He says this, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So our guardian angels, which you do have, have access to God. They can behold his face. They can get commands from God the Father. And then it says here that we are ministering spirits or angels that that are sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12. So, angels are sent to help and watch over us. Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. It's where we get the word guardian angel. It's from right there in Psalm 91. That's where this 
this developed and said, we have angels that watch over and do the bidding and command of God. It says they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Here's how that affects me. I'll just share this with you before we close in a few minutes. This is how this affects me. When I pray for my kids, which I do every single day, when I pray for this church, and especially if God has put somebody in particular as he does every single day of my life, a lot of you come to my heart and to my mind throughout the course of a day. And sometimes I may just text you and check on you. Or I'll go into moments of prayer wherever I am, in my car, I'm in my office, I'm at home, whatever it is. I'll begin to go into prayer. And I usually kind of follow a pattern of following the Lord's Prayer. And I will pray things like, God, lead them not into temptation. I, I get a sense sometimes that some are just struggling with tempted to go back to something that they've walked away from. But how I pray for my kids is I literally say in my understanding of the theology of the hierarchy of angels and that God has given heirs of salvation, guardian angels, to watch over you, to guard you, to keep you. A lot of the time that I'll pray for my kids, I'll just say, God, surround them with a hedge of guardian angels so that they can be aware of temptation that they're not even seeing with their physical eyes. God, surround them, and I'll pray this over you as a church. I'll pray it over you individually. And I'll say, God, surround them with your guardian angels and keep them from harm. God, you have charge over my kids. God, you have charge over this church. God, you are the Lord of this church. And God, I pray you command your angels to lead them in truth, to lead them in light, to lead them not into temptation, but to deliver them from the evil one. That's how it affects my prayers, because I understand that you do have a guardian angel. This is a side note. Don't do this. But I asked my daughter if they talk to the, if she talks to her angel. Huh? What? I said, well, I tell him good morning every so often. Y'all, if it, listen to me. If you could lift the veil, are you hearing me? This, this room right now, sir, it, there are angels here right now. All over the place. Right now. So let me give you their job description as guardian angels. You ready? Real quick. Number one, and I'll give you the scripture references and you can go back and look them up because I have two for each one. Number one, they provide for us. Let me give you the scripture references. Genesis 21, verses 17 through 20. 1 Kings 19, verse 6. Those are the stories. The first one is the story of Hagar. She takes off from Abraham. She's kicked out. She's pregnant. What happens? An angel comes And it provides for her to find water and sustenance. The other place that I referenced was Elijah when he's running from Jezebel. And he finds himself by the book Kidron and he's there by the brook. What happens? Angels came and ministered to him. So we understand that angels are sent by God to provide for us at times. Number two, they protect us. Isn't that a great, wonderful promise of God's word? That he will give his angels charge over you. He will watch over you. They are, they are longing to look into those who are heirs of salvation because they can't believe that God would have saved us. But he did. Woo, come on. <laughs> they provide for us. Genesis 21. Oh, I already gave you those. Protect us. Daniel 6, verse 22. What did he do in Daniel 6, verse 22? An angel came and shut the mouth of the lion. Amen. 
Matthew 26, verse 53, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I already referenced that, but that's where he says, Peter put the sword away because I could call 12 legions of angels. Which let me give you a little nugget that the Holy Spirit revealed to me one time. When Jesus fully just totally laid his will will before the Father and said, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When God has your will under that much control, that's when you'll walk in spiritual authority. Because imagine the spiritual authority standing in the moment, knowing you're going to be arrested, crown of thorns put on your head, your beard plucked out, crucified, lashed with a cat and nine tails 39 times or whatever it was that Jesus was, was lashed. Imagine the, the, the temptation to say, angels, you want to arrest me with these hundred dudes or the contingent that came from the temple to arrest you? You want to arrest me? Let me just, let, let's, let's open up the door here and let them walk on in and take care of everybody. But God could trust with that level of authority. You want to have a level of authority in the spirit, you better walk humbly in the natural. You better surrender your will completely to God. But they protect us. Um, Number three, they deliver us. Acts 5, verses 18 and 19. Acts 12, verses 7 through 11. What are those stories? That's when they were arrested and they were put in jail. Um, Peter was in jail. And uh, the angel came and what did he do? He let him out. They got wise, though, the next time they arrested him. They put him three levels down. Read the story. They put him lower. They were like, hey, somebody let him out. They weren't aware of who it was. It was an angel. So they deliver us. They are sent to be watchers. They are sent to provide for us. They are sent to protect us. But they're also sent to deliver us. Amazing in that story, they heard a knock on the door. And it's actually Peter. But they're praying for Peter inside. And they're like, oh, we didn't come answer because we thought it was your angel. We thought it was your angel just came to visit, right? Man alive, the supernatural that was going on at that time had to be just absolutely amazing. Um, number four, they strengthen and encourage us, according to the Bible. Matthew 4, verse 11. If you're taking notes, jot that down and you can read it. They strengthen and encourage us. Um, Matthew 4, verse 11 is Jesus in the wilderness. It says, after the devil departed for a more opportune time, um, it says that, Angels came and ministered to Jesus, right? So they strengthen and encourage us. Um, another place that it talks about the strengthening and encouraging and giving a message from God, they give messages from God, was when Paul was on the ship selling to Rome. Of course, he told them, don't, don't go out. This isn't going to end well. And they went anyway. And what happens? The, 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 sto- the storm was called a Eurachlodon. It was a huge tempest, hurricane. The, the ship is being battered, you know, all around. And what happened in the story? An angel showed up and told him, Paul, this is going to be okay. Not only you, but everyone on this boat is going to be saved. And, you know, Paul was a, was a I told you so guy, I think. I think he was from reading his, his letters. He went to the captain of the ship. I told you not to do this. But God sent a messenger, again, hierarchy. A messenger angel and appeared to me and he said, hey, everything's going to be okay. Everybody's going to make it out of this alive. And they, of course, end up on the island. So they strengthen and encourage us in scripture. Number five and the last one is angels are used by God to answer certain prayers. Acts 10 verses 1 through 7. Then Acts 12 verses 5 through 11. Acts 10 is Cornelius and uh Cornelius is an angel sent by God to give a message to him. Hey, go to Joppa and I want you to pray for somebody. And so there was a message delivered. A messenger angel sent by God shows up. 
So those are some of the roles of angels as we understand their hierarchy, as we understand that they are not the dearly departed loved ones who have gone on and they received their wings. And when you watch It's a Wonderful Life this week and you hear every time the bell rings, another angel gets its wings. Great TV, great thing to just watch and kind of snicker at. But understand that to theologically correctly line up with what God's word says, they are a completely separate, created, supernatural, and they are incredibly strong, and they are incredibly intelligent, and we have guardian angels. And next time we meet on January 4th, we're going to delve into the demonic and the hierarchy there and what demons are. But let me close with this. I already said it, but let me close with it. If you could see into the spiritual realm, stand with me tonight. If you could see even around us in the spiritual realm, um, you would see angels all around them in this room, big ones too. Let me ask you this, and just just curiosity. Um, has anybody felt confident that you've seen an angel at any time in your life? We're not going to like pull you in the back and counsel you. If you're like, come on, you're going off the rails. Anybody? Anybody? I have. Two occasions. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely heard. Heard. Um, I mean, there's some big ones on this stage right now because my angels are bigger than yours. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Just, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you would also see demons. The devil goes to church, folks. Right? And we're going to talk about that next time we meet. If you're able to, 4 o'clock Saturday, be our Christmas service, Christmas Eve. We're going to have a good time. Here's what I want to do. When everybody come in, just relax. We're just going to have a time in the presence of the Lord. We've got some special music. It's going to be different because I'm going to be showing a couple of videos along with our songs and along with scripture reading and uh, have a candlelight type of service that night. But please come. But bow your heads with me tonight as we pray. Father. God, I'm always and continually reminded as I study these subjects how amazing your salvation is, God. Father, I want to stop in this moment and just thank you for so great a salvation. That, God, you would look at anyone like me or anybody else present in this room and love us enough that you would send your son, your only begotten son, to take my place upon the cross, God. Father, during this Christmas season when we celebrate your birth, God, I'm continually reminded of the sacrifice that it took to save me and to save anyone else in this room who has put their faith in you. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that you have made us heirs of salvation. And by being an heir of salvation, you have placed your angels, your messengers, your guardians, your warring angels. You have placed them around us and you have placed us in the midst of the battle, yes, but we know and believe just like the eyes of the servant were opened and he saw chariots of fire surrounding them when the enemy was coming against them. God, let us have a reminder tonight that you care for us, that you watch over us, and that you have given to us these mighty angels to guard us and to keep us. And God, I thank you for that tonight. I thank you for that truth, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you. Fathers, we studied this tonight. I pray anything said of me would go by the wayside, but the teaching of foundation theologically that is according to your word would find its way into our hearts and encourage us tonight, God. I pray, Father, for the blessings of God over each one here. They would be blessed going in and blessed going out. God, they would be blessed at work 
and blessed in their home, that your face, God, would just turn towards us as our angel always beholds the face of the Father because your concern is so immense for each and every person here that, God, you would do that for us. I thank you for that tonight. Watch over us, keep us, surround us with that hedge of protection of your mightiest angels. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We'll see you Saturday if you're able to make it. God bless.